very, very pleased to bring you um, new episodes, new, new people each week. This week, I have a very, very special guest. Um, this is somebody who I've called a friend and a mentor now, and you know we've we've gotten to know each other so fast and and uh, so well in a short period of time. Um, this is Shannon Marks, guys. He is an absolute legend. Um, I'm sure he'll talk a little bit about himself, but let me just give you a quick breakdown. Um, he's an entrepreneur and a strategist. He's been pioneering the digital technologies and building groundbreaking products for the last 20 years. His early work in digital platform development and global brands honed his ability to lead high-performing design and engineering teams in unconventional environments. His experience and unique perspective allow him to transfer disruptive tech tools and methods from one industry to another. He is focused on helping founders and leaders achieve their goals and reach their full potential through real-world scenarios, sharing practical information learned from years and years of developing brands and businesses. Shannon, welcome to the Wise Guy Chat. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. It's uh, really exciting to be here. Awesome. And, you know, fun fact, Shannon is a Wise Guy member. He's in the chats. We've seen him around. He's hiding <laughs> there, picking up some tips and tricks. 100%. It's amazing. So Shannon, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Shannon, with more than 30 years of business um, experience under your belt, you've been in entry-level positions all the way up to CEO positions and everywhere yeah. else in between. Um, walk us through the life cycle of this journey and maybe reflect on each of those positions and what they meant to you then versus now. Oh, that's such a great question. All right. Um, so if you go way, way back, I got my start right when, you know, sort of the beginning of the commercial internet. So I like to date myself by going that far back because people kind of were in this mindset where you would think twice about taking out your credit card. People didn't really buy stuff then. It was email, there was information, but there was so much opportunity. And I was coming out of school at the time with a lot of big ideas, but um, I was like a fire hose without direction. And I knew I wanted to be in technology. I knew I wanted to build products, but there was no vocabulary for any of that stuff back then. So it was a lot of big ideas, but without direction. And one of the first things, one of my first jobs, I got recruited right out of school and the salaries were ridiculous because it was the first dot-com bubble. and money was just being printed. I mean, there was so much excitement. This was back in Washington, D.C. Um, in the late 90s. And it was it, it was just the Wild West. So I got this great job as um, essentially like a, a, an art director, but for interactive media. And I remember I remember taking my first big idea to my boss at the time. And I just had so much wild-eyed optimism and I went into his office and I told him about this amazing or I thought it was amazing this amazing idea and he just shot it down in two seconds and that was like my first day of work and from that point on I always had this idea that maybe um maybe he couldn't see the big picture like I knew that uh I had a lot of work to do in terms of communication and building a plan and doing all these things that I've learned and I'll talk about in a little bit but I just thought that maybe he wasn't seeing the big picture so that kind of started me on this path of finding positions where I could work for people who wanted big picture ideas and I spent probably the next seven or eight years 
uh, in junior design and strategy positions where I had an opportunity to be in between the design and engineering teams. Now, at that time, it was an amazing place to be because developers spoke one language, creatives spoke another language, and the business teams didn't speak either language. And I was learning how to be a translator for everybody, which put me right in the middle of all of these decisions being made. And I built up a vocabulary of how digital products were, were being built. And I could speak the technology, I could speak the design side of it. And then for the next 10 years, I kind of perfected that. And it, it brought me to really weird places. Um, I never in a million years thought I would be a management consultant. I wound up working for this amazing organization in Chicago. Um, it was called Acuity Group. I met really my my most influential mentors at that time took me under their wing. They were the leaders of that organization. Um, they also kind of treated me like their little brother, which was good because I'm the 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 youngest of four boys. So I was in the little brother position, which was kind of comfortable for me. Um, but what I wound up getting exposure to was a lot of the executive decision making that they were going through every day. And then they got acquired by Accenture. And when I saw that, and when I saw that transition, what really big business looks like and what mergers and acquisitions looks like and what it means to build a business from 50 people to 5,000 people, uh, that business that I was working for wound up getting acquired for 350 million and became a part of Accenture. And from that point on, I, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to accomplish with my life. And uh, from there, I did more work in management consulting, Accenture, um, some work with McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, Bain, all of the big consultancies. I learned a lot there. I could bore you to death about what those environments are like. They're amazing, amazing uh, businesses, but uh, they go really, really deep on strategy. At that point, and this is now maybe, gosh, 15 years ago, um, I decided to go out on my, on my own with my first entrepreneurial endeavor. And uh, that was made boards. And we decided to go, I'm a surfer and a windsurfer, always have been, decided that I wanted to take 3D printing and surfing and combine them. We were able to design, print, and ride the world's first 3D printed uh, windsurfing equipment and surfboards. And then from there, which by the way, that business was a colossal uh, commercial failure, but a blast because we got to play with really cool technology. Um, and then from there, I pivoted back to digital and I started building digital agencies, building digital product companies. And that's what I'm still doing today is incubating and building digital product companies. And I love it. And it's given me an opportunity to operate at all of those levels that um, that you just talked about. And everything from day one through that that journey to CEO has has really conditioned me for the volatility that we're existing in right now with the pandemic and with just the the pace of innovation and technology. So that's that's the short long version of the of my story. Awesome. Shannon, you talked a lot about um, growing and having great mentors around and being in the position where you were below people and then you became a leader. Um, what are some habits that successful leaders have in your eyes? 
Oh, that is such a good question. Uh, uh, so a couple of things come to mind. Discipline above all else. Uh, the, I, when you think about meditation, med and, and when you think about meditation, um, it, like big picture, right? I, I always wanted to be good at meditation. And I would sit down and I'd, you know, cross my legs and I'd close my eyes and I'd focus on my breath. And three minutes later, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I can't stop the thoughts bouncing around in, in, my, in my head. And I didn't realize at the time that meditation isn't just the act. It's, it, it's that idea. It's the idea that like you have to actually slow yourself down. The, the easiest way to become an effective leader is to learn how to control your thoughts and really start disciplining them more than any other tactic. Like I hold a really rigid schedule. I'm up at five o'clock every morning. I've got three hours of highly focused time. You know, like I build in workouts. I, I, I've got this whole schedule I'm happy to talk about at length. But on top of all of that is discipline. And meditation has taught me that kind of discipline more effectively really than anything, because if you can't control your thoughts, you can't control the world around you. And a lot of what you're doing in a leadership position is synchronizing and making sure that all of the pieces and parts work together. One of, I, I read a great book earlier this year, uh, Extreme Leadership by Jacko Wellings. If you haven't read it already, I mean, it's like amazing. Um, he has this idea that I believe in, this notion of extreme leadership, which essentially means every single thing, good or bad, is on your shoulders. And he uses all of his experiences in Ramadi, uh, task unit bruiser, and these uh, incredible SEALs, uh, these soldiers that w went through hell and back. And the reason that they made so much progress and they were able to be as effective as they was because he took complete ownership of every decision. So nothing was left to chance and nothing was left unplanned. But all of that comes back to that idea of discipline. And even he says like discipline equals freedom. And it's true. The more discipline you build into your day, the more that your team can emulate that kind of approach, that kind of discipline, and the better off the business that you're building will be. The last thing I'll say about that is your business and every business I've ever built or been a part of is a reflection of the personality of the leader. And that can never be forgotten. So if you're together, the business is together. If you're disciplined, the business is disciplined. You have a popular trading uh, trending series um, on TikTok that I think it was two videos in a row. It got like, you know, almost a million views. Uh, yeah. I really wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into it because I thought it was um, some excellent points being made. Um, how does one accomplish more in a day than others accomplish in a week? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So um, those were, and, and I'm going to take one step back, like, because this is sort of bigger picture for TikTok. Um, the, the whole reason behind the series and the whole reason behind TikTok for me was to show people things that for some reason I felt like the rest of the world was hiding from us and all of the business topics and all of the self, um, improvement and performance topics come back to this idea of 
I'm going to show you stuff that either I've learned or seen in the boardroom or seen the highest performers in the world take mastery of. And those two in particular get to this idea that I think we've all felt, right? You wake up in the morning, you have a, you have a ton of energy, you, you have this to-do list, this checklist of things that you want to accomplish. And then all of a sudden it's six o'clock and you're scratching your head, wondering where the day went. And maybe you, maybe you were able to kind of get through half of one and half of another, but you're looking at your to-do list and you, you can't figure out why you weren't able to get through all of them. And then that feeling sets in like right here where it's some of the self-deprecating, so like you're talking down to yourself and it doesn't feel good. At what, so whether you're working for somebody or whether people are working for you, you didn't get to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. So over the past couple of years, I started breaking down my routine and really thinking about how am I, how am I capable of doing everything that I want to do? And it didn't always come easy. It still doesn't come easy. I have, I, I use these, you know, I use these journals and these checklists for this exact reason. Um, but if you really look at where you're spending time, it unlocks this entire hidden world. So here's, here's the big secret. We all make to-do lists, but to-do lists exist in a vacuum. They're like perfect world fantasies. I'm gonna design my website, I'm gonna upload inventory, I'm gonna do an ad, I'm gonna market it, I'm gonna send five emails, whatever, whatever your list looks like. You put all of these things together. But then your mom calls, uh, the dog needs to go out, uh, my brother calls, um, uh, five emails come in, life happens, right? My car breaks down, whatever it is, it gets in the way. and what. What we don't realize is every time we start a task and we break out of that flow state where we're actually working, there's so much energy wasted. It's not easy. Um, and all of these things get tied up into procrastination and why sometimes it feels like it's difficult to, to even get started with your day or get started on a task. It's because that energy is a is a is a rare natural resource so i started looking at where i was wasting time and spending time rather than just trying to write another to-do list and what i realized was if i wrote down every single distraction as they happened so if i was working and my mom called and say okay 10 minutes mom called uh 15 minutes walked dog 20 minutes had team meeting five minutes, had a cup of coffee, 15 minutes, so on and so forth. What I was seeing is that at the end of the day, it was like two hours and 45 minutes of wasted time um, or just time that could have been used for something else. And once I did that, I did that for about two weeks, I saw these patterns emerge and it allowed me to redesign my calendar, to, to put a calendar together that squished together all of the work that I wanted to do and then created time for all of these other these other things, it, at least the ones that I could control. So I could turn my phone off. I could I could close, you know, the Chrome tab with Gmail in it. Slack got shut down. Discord's turned off, except if there are four to eight alerts, then Discord is not <laughs> <Yeah>. turned off. <laughs> but but I'm doing my best. And 
I'm, you know, but I give myself a space to be distracted and I give my sp myself a space to get work done. And those three hours are more productive than anything else. And I think a lot of people reacted to those, those videos for that, for that exact reason, because who hasn't been there? Who hasn't looked at the end of a week thinking, gosh, I thought I was going to get so much done this week. And at the end of the week, they didn't. And I, I, I just want everyone to rise to their full potential. And it's a really simple and effective way to do it. And I promise you, if you do that, if you take those two weeks and you write down all of those, those times that you could have been doing something else and you see where those patterns are, the following, however many weeks you practice it, four weeks, the rest of your life, whatever it is, you will see an immense increase in your productivity and you'll feel amazing at the end of the day. And to me, that's really important. So that's that. Yeah. 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 No, well said. Um, I do have a follow-up question uh, just in it's, it's a little bit of a zoomed out bigger picture question and your answer may be the exact same answer that you just gave um, or it could be different. Um, but one thing that I see with entrepreneurs, especially um entrepreneurs that are coming of age and then, you know, coming into their uh, teens, adulthood, and then, you know, the wife happens, the kids happen, the, I need to have a nine to five. How do I support my family happens? Um, and then they have these ideas and then they want to get them accomplished, but they can't. So these entrepreneurs are getting stuck, taking the next steps. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on some solutions to get you from your starting point to your ending point. Yeah. Wow. Um, you're absolutely right. Life happens and it gets more complex every day, every day. Uh, I just read something, uh, a couple of weeks ago that basically said, you know, this moment in time is the least complicated your life will ever be. It's for everybody that reads that, whether you're five, 15 or 50, this moment in time is the least complicated your life will ever be. But again, that doesn't necessarily factor in practicality, realistically, right? Like, so let's say you've got a million ideas and you wanna break free of your nine to five. This is something that I've talked about previously as well. So, and, and it's important that people understand there is a path. If you, if, if you have an entrepreneurial vein and you're, you're set on going out on your own, I, I want everyone to think about this. Um, I was, I was shaped by the 2008 financial collapse. That's really when I realized that's it. I'm going out on my own. Uh, this is while we were, uh, at acuity group. This was pre, uh, acquisition. This is before Accenture bought us. And this was a big company. And like I said, the people running it were awesome. So the financial meltdown starts happening and they had to do what they call reduction in force, right? Layoffs and big open floor plan. Every day, one or two people would get a phone call at their desk and you just see them kind of slump over and they'd get up. And as soon as they made eye contact, their eyes would just well up because they knew, they knew there was, you know, it was happening so consistently. And I just thought from that moment on, you really, there's no, it's a fallacy to think that a nine to five is more stable or secure than going out on your own. And I'm obviously I'm a huge believer in entrepreneurial endeavors, 
um, I'm a huge believer in everything you do. I'm a huge believer in the power of an idea. And it really is this leap of faith. So the first thing is, I like to remind people that when they're thinking about starting their own businesses, there are no guarantees, but that's actually in your favor. Nothing is guaranteed. Not for Apple has to show up every day and work harder tomorrow than they did today because there's someone else designing that next product and they're looking at Apple as their target. So everybody's got that on their shoulders. Practically speaking, I think there are ways to make the jump. And I think it, it, to your point, it does have to do with the last answer. Creating that time for you to build your business, uh, to take those first steps, whether it's planning, uh, whether it's designing the product, getting your website up, building TikTok, building Instagram, building your audience, building your followers. We often get overwhelmed with the idea that that has to be a 24 hour a day gig. Doing one hour of that work every day adds up. One of my favorite things to do is just to think about things at scale. This sounds like complete dork fest, but you know, just, just the other day, I was thinking about how much time we spend on social media. For anyone that's sitting in front of their computer, just multiply 20 minutes times 365. I think the answer is somewhere in the 7,000 minute range or the 140 hour range. That's just 20 minutes. That's conservatively speaking. So if you took those 20 minutes and you had 7,000 minutes of work for your side hustle, for your big idea, just think about how much you would get done. Now double that or triple that and you're up at an hour. And that hour, 365 hours a year, even though it might not be as satisfying as saying, I'm the CEO now, I've got my own gig, I work for me, it will get you there. And it will, it will show you what that grind looks like. It'll be the reward that you are waiting for. You know, like I, I always say success is not an outcome. It's the result of crushing a day, grinding it out and feeling amazing about what you've accomplished. And that is priceless. Like, and by the way, that will come with a paycheck. When you're grinding like that, it will come with a paycheck. So always look at, you know, like find ways to master the 10 minute window, the 20 minute window. You can get so much done like that. It's not always perfect. It's not always easy, but it is super, super effective for getting your, getting your business off the ground, getting your side hustle going. And um, you'll see, you'll see, just add up those minutes. Yeah. That's a, that's an amazing point. And I just want to touch on that a little bit too, because what, what he's saying is, um, it's so true, guys. And I know that a lot of people get lost thinking, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur. I've never had a great idea. Um, you, you, don't, you don't have to be an entrepreneur to add multiple um, income sources. So when we're talking about creating a side hustle and, you know, adding that hour a day that you're consuming, uh, you know, social media, you're either a consumer or you're, a, you know, or you're producing the content. I found myself consuming way too much content. It was educational and I knew that it was going somewhere, but the second that I made that pivot and, you know, and decided, Hey, maybe I'll create something and explain, you know, all this stuff that I know, you know, we turned wise guy investing in stock VIP. We created multiple businesses and one of the largest accounts for finance on the largest app in the world. 
And this is all in six months, guys. So, um, and that's not to brag, but it's to show you that you have the time. You're already sitting on your phone. Uh, use that time to find something that interests you, build around it, learn more about it and become a master at it. And you can create anything. And, and I literally mean anything. If you're into trading cards, create a program about trading cards and how you can buy them on the low, how you can plot outside of Target and grab uh, you know, the packs that are coming in. You know, There's so many ways to create businesses around what you love. And yeah, it's just uh, amazing points, amazing points. Let's zoom back a little bit. Um, <laughs> I want to make it, I, I want to, I, I was thinking about something that was so interesting to me. You and I have talked mul on multiple occasions. There's two things that you and I have in common, right? We, uh, we, well, maybe three, we're both entrepreneurs. Uh, we both love the movie Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey. And yep. <laughs> we both love Tesla and the CEO, Elon Musk. Yep. Uh, on the surface, those two things seem very separate, right? A movie and a high-functioning CEO, um, you know, overlord that's just on Twitter making memes. <laughs> but as you dig deeper, I think that there is something that's underlying there. And maybe yeah. it's that they're both masters and masterful in a way, or maybe it's that they inspire us to think bigger. Um, touch, touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, wow. So one of, one of my favorite quotes, and this actually is something I just read a few, uh, a few days ago. And I think this applies to Elon. Uh, if you, if you let it right, amateurs built the arc professionals built the Titanic that like mm. I read that and that just kind of blew mm. my mind. And for every entrepreneur, that's, that is liquid fuel exploding rocket launch that's it like amateurs built the ark professionals built the titanic you can just let that imagery fly and i think that's exactly what is so inspiring about elon and the massive things that he did so if you look and if you've read his uh his biography um you, you see how he sort of came to be and he was this just closed up kid and he was thinking about, he was literally building these rockets and these daydreams. He would go into these trances when he was a kid and just kind of engineer these machines. But um, he didn't necessarily have the most traditional path to that moment, but he certainly did something in an industry that nobody even thought was an industry, right? There was like NASA and then the Russians and then a couple of other countries that could get people into space. And along comes this guy who co-founded PayPal, who built a couple of digital platforms that went really big. And by the way, like for the wise guy family and four to eight, it, it's no different than exactly what you're doing. So think about that in terms of your trajectory, right? You're on the same path that Elon is walking, no different. And he leveraged what he did with the PayPal exit and built Tesla and then leveraged that and did the hard work and figured it out. And I think at the core of that and the movie Interstellar is this idea that there are some things out there that are so big and so worth doing that they just reach into your chest and just, you know, they just grab you. and. I think everybody wants to be a part of something big and, and exciting like that. 
And my favorite, one of my favorite scenes from the movie Interstellar, I mean, it's probably, anyone who likes the movie is probably all gonna land on the same scene. It's when McConaughey takes control of, of the broken, uh, of the broken station, right? And the other ship has been destroyed. And, you know, they're spinning around and he's about to tap out and his, you know, um, Anne Hathaway's like passing out and the TARS, the robots, like it's not possible. And his response is it's necessary. And that's it. It's just like this eruptive moment. It's necessary. And I think that embodies what Elon's doing with the Hyperloop, with Solar City, with Tesla, with SpaceX. Um, for, for all of us that are in Southern California, if you haven't already done it, and when we can start traveling freely again, if you want to just kind of blow your mind, I would, I would, I would highly recommend going down to SpaceX in Hawthorne and looking at the Falcon booster. It's the first booster that they successfully landed and it sits right on the corner of the street. And you can stand underneath it. You just—it's so big, and the fact that they—they they land these things vertically on a barge out in the Pacific Ocean is just mind blowing. But when you turn around, there's this like two mile long tube that literally looks like somebody duct taped together some PVC tubes, and that's their hyperloop. And you can just see that this guy just doesn't. He just doesn't give a shit, right? He's just like, I think we can right. create a vacuum tube that'll make a rocket sled go 700 miles an hour. You guys want to find out? <laughs> and then he does it, you know? Right. And it's just like, who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't want to be like that? And I just, I, I think it's the most amazing example. He's the Howard Hughes of our time. He's the Thomas Edison. He's the uh, he's the Nikola Tesla. He's all of those things wrapped up. And to your point, He's also like making memes and and creating you know, like tequila brands. So he knows how to right. sell an idea and get people excited about it. I I know he's not a perfect guy, but I'm I'm a big big fan of what he's yeah. accomplishing for sure. Yeah. Totally. So Shannon, one thing I know about you is that you're you know you love helping people out and it, and it shines on you. You, you can see it when you're talking to you and having a conversation. It's something about you. You really enjoy leading people down the right path, pushing them in the right direction, telling them, um, you know, where they could be going astray, reflecting on past experiences. Um, let's, it's not all rainbows and sunshine though. Like I say, um, to our group, there's been times in your life, I'm sure where, um, there's been some struggle and some failure some frustration. Um, can you give us some examples or maybe just a you know, singular example of how these have played a role in forming who you are today? Yeah, uh, we are, we are um, at our best, the lessons that we've learned from our worst. And I was a, I was just an awful student in high school. I really struggled. I loved learning but it was difficult for me to focus my energy. And the first wake up call I got, you know, I, I, I was in a great school system. I had great teachers that cared a lot. Um, I saw all of my friends go off to school and that was it. Like that was a huge wake up call for me. 
Um, so I knew I had to, I knew I had to apply myself and do a year at community college and make sure that I was, I, I was where I needed to be academically. And from that point forward, I realized how important academics, applied academics were. And that was a big old slice of humble pie, right? Like you think that you know, like, oh, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to do all of these things with my life. And then your plans literally get put on hold. Um, interestingly enough, the, you know, the corollary today is there's an entire generation of, uh, of seniors that graduated last year and, and freshmen in college whose lives were put on hold because of the pandemic, totally different reason, but it's that same kind of frustration, right? Like everything came to a, a halt. Some people went away, some people didn't. That was the, that was the first major turning point in my life. Um, I think the second was the second and sort of the third are, are related and they related to one of my, my, my first uh, digital businesses. So I had a, uh, a user experience digital product development firm we had offices in Chicago, in Austin, Texas, here in Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, Pacific Northwest in Portland. Uh, over the course of five years, we did about 50 million in revenues. It was a great business. We built it up to about 40, 45 people. We had investors. Uh, so I learned all of these things that I never would have learned uh, under one roof. And for that, I'm eternal grateful. The lesson learned there was twofold. One, I did not have the financial literacy that I, I wanted to have in the boardroom conversations. So I had a working knowledge of how to run a company, but when it really came down to understanding which levers to pull, I sort of got put in the corner in terms of where my voice was heard and that felt awful. And that actually echoes through today because as you know, a lot of the things that I talk about are cash flow management, revenue management, sales and pipeline development. It's become a language that I've learned exceedingly well because someone indirectly and directly essentially said, you can't really participate in this conversation. You don't know what you're talking about, um, which was amazing. I mean, like, thank you for saying that because now it's what motivates me to help other people never feel like that. Um, and actually, I can even go further back. Like when I was first getting my start, a lot of what felt unnatural was the fact that when you're young and you're going into these positions, people talk in this language where you're supposed to know what they're talking about. I saw this TikTok where this girl's like, oh, so you want me to build a deck? And it's like corporate America speak, you know, like she wants, they want you her to build like a PowerPoint presentation. So they're calling it a deck. And then she like shows up with a drill driver and safety goggles. And she's like, oh, you wanted me to build a deck, right? And I've, I've been in that position where you just kind of feel like an idiot. You're like, oh, I didn't, oh, I totally knew you weren't gonna say that. Um, so that's another huge motivator for me so that nobody should ever feel like being spoken down to just because they don't know the right words in the business world. And then the, the other big failure was the, the, um, the, the result of that last business. It did not go where I wanted it to go. We were aiming that business for a pretty massive acquisition and it just didn't happen. And it didn't happen in a 
uh, like an explosive way. It just kind of fizzled. And that just felt so painful because it was like somebody pouring sand through your hands and you're trying to just like hold on to it and it just wasn't happening. And with each of those things, the single, the single thread was knowledge, information. It always felt like somebody was holding back a piece of information. And what I realized is it was me, like I was holding back the information. I think one of the things that we should all keep in mind is, uh, I think the, the original quote is, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you ask. My modification to that is the quality of your business is determined by the quality of the questions you ask about it. And I wasn't asking the right questions. And when you get into that mindset of asking the right questions about your business, about your side hustle, about what comes next, the job you want, the thing you want, when you really start asking the questions that you want the answers to, you don't get those same kinds of failure points. You, you learn to work past them and around them. But those were, those were the big formative trip-ups that I, I had to take inventory and really think, how am I going to do it differently next time? Totally. Well said. So, I mean, you have a lifetime of knowledge as far as, you know, having these conversations where you and I are going back and forth and, you know, discussing life lessons and, you know, all these lessons that can be learned. Um, and they're amazing. I want to dive a little bit deeper into and, and just open up this chapter, which is the technicality of some of the business, um, the business side of things. And uh, yeah. so some of our recent conversations have been about scaling wise guy, um, you know, how we can get from where we're at to where we want to be in 2021. And you have pointed me in the right in, in this direction that I had no clue about. Um, and you've, you've really taught me a lot about, um, you know, the business as a machine and as a working part and everything working cohesively. Um, I have the diagram in my head, you know, twisting right now, all the cogs are working. Um, but we have a lot of members who are just starting their business or maybe they have their business or their side hustle and they're ready to scale it up, but they don't know all of the technicalities of what it takes to really, um, you know, cast out that, that fishnet and, you know, take a real big stab at, at, at what's out there. Um, dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So let's say you're really good at, um, at baking cookies, right? Let's use a really simple example. And you love baking cookies and everyone that you've ever made a cookie for says, man, these are the best cookies ever. Okay. So you know how to bake a cookie. Now people start asking you for more and more orders, the light bulb goes off and you think this is a business. And that for maybe the first two or three businesses you build or most people build, they will hold this idea that your business is the act of making a really good chocolate chip cookie and selling that cookie to, see how I got specific there, chocolate chip, that's my weakness, chocolate chip cookies. So, that you you go from making a cookie to selling a cookie and you think that's a business. But that's that's the big mistake. If if you want to create a business, you have to remove yourself from just the practitioner role, in this case the baker. You can't just be the baker, right? The baker has a role in a business. And what most businesses are, especially startups and side hustles, they are the scaled, uh, the, the bigger version 
of a thing that somebody knows how to do really well. So that might be making websites, making apps, um, providing uh, a platform for, uh, you know, like creating a dating website, creating anything you can think of, or all of these physical product ideas. You're a great baker. That's why I'm using that example. But what winds up happening is you just gave yourself maybe five, six, seven other jobs. Because now not only are you the baker, you're the accountant, you're, um, you're the marketing department, you're the sales department, your customer service, your operations, your construction. What happened to the quality of the cookies? They start going way down. Why is that? Well, because you don't have a baker, right? You thought that building this business was going to be making cookies. And that mindset can trip up the best of us. So the first thing that you have to do when you're thinking about how do I take my, what I'm doing right now, like let's say it's just an e-com site, right? Like you're, you're doing some arbitrage, some wholesale, some drop shipping. You, you've got, you know, a great aesthetic. You've got a great brand. You've got all of these products. You know the space, you know digital marketing. Start thinking about scale. Start thinking about the exact company you would want to build. And this is a conversation that you and I have had. If you could draw a picture of that perfect company, what would it look like? And be completely, completely honest. It would mean that you had an accountant, you had a sales department, you had a marketing department with two designers, you had a technology department that was building an app or a better website. You have an operations team that uh, helps new people that you hire feel like they're all ready to go on day one. You have a recruiting department, you have all these things, right? That's a business. Then what you do is you start thinking about how the revenue, how the money you're making today can fuel the growth of that business. And this is a big point, And this is another point that we've talked about. Profit is a meter. It's not an outcome. And a lot of people calculate profit by saying revenue minus expenses equals profit, just whatever's left over. You should be thinking about profit equals revenue minus expenses. Same calculation, it's flipped. It means you start with the outcome that you want to achieve. And then you figure out what must be true to do that. So you're going to now start thinking like a business person. You're going to say, we need to sell 500 cookies at $2 per cookie, and we need to manufacture each cookie for 50 cents so that I can hire someone in marketing, someone in sales, someone in human resources, someone here, someone there. That's a business. That's, that's the gears of business so that you can go from just baking cookies and giving yourself, you know, like a heart attack at 20 versus a business that's going to grow well, into your 30s, 40s, and 50s, and, and really be something that you can build around. And I think that, that even that small example, it holds true with, with so many things. We go into these businesses thinking, I'm just going to do what I do, but charge for it. And that's not a business. Business is a system. Totally. And I think yeah. that one point that you just made there at the end, um, that that is something that a lot of people need to hear um, and in the entrepreneur community, um, I spent some time when I was younger and working, um, not doing with wise guys. I was working at an entrepreneur center and, uh, and mm -hmm. was speaking with people all the time. 
um, they're coming to me asking me how, you know, I have this new idea. What do you think of it? Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I've been doing this for six months. Like, what do I do? And I'm listening and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, man, that's a really bad idea. Like, that's a mm. really, really bad idea. And, I, and in the community, it's difficult to have those conversations where you're saying, ah, oh, you know what? I don't think this is a great idea. And sometimes it's for the best that you don't say that because it can hurt, you know, hurt somebody's feelings. We're worried about that kind of stuff. But a problem that I see with a lot of people is that when they're, you know, working on an idea and they're flushing out a concept and they're not even, you know, some people just say, Hey, this is my idea. They won't even bother to go see if it's somebody else's idea that's already has it patented or trademarked or anything like that. Right. Um, but they get married to the idea. They get married to the business and it's one of the biggest failures that I see with entrepreneurs, right? They get married to it and they say, Hey, this is my cookie shop. I'm living by the sword. I'm dying by the sword. These are the best, you know, mother effing chocolate chip cookies you ever had in your life. And I believe it, you know, until that, until you can't afford the rent and nobody's buying the cookies and Donnie's cookies opens up across the street. So, um, with all that being said, how important is self-awareness and where does that play a part when you're, um, you know, working on your business? Oh, that is the most important question. I mean, that is the fundamental question. Product validation, that it, it can be called product validation. Um, it can just be called validating your idea, validating your hypothesis. There's a million different terms for it, but that self-awareness that you just described is the difference between a business that exists to solve a problem and a business that exists despite a problem. I think the best businesses are, are an answer to a problem. Um, and not everything is like a clear cut problem. Like just using the cookie example, Hey, there's nowhere to get cookies in this town. Let's go build a bakery, but you can have your own version of that. The way that you avoid that scenario that you just talked about looking at all of those entrepreneurs, working with those entrepreneurs and thinking to yourself, gosh, this isn't really an idea that you can build on the way that you avoid that. I think it's a, it's a couple of steps. One try and come up with as many ideas as possible. Almost try and come up with bad ideas because as you come up with more and more ideas, the quality of the ideas gets better and better because what you're doing in your head is you're doing this process uh, and there's a lot of names for it. Like Kaizen is a name for it, continuous uh, uh, innovation or continuous improvement, innovation, asking five whys. Those are all fancy names for asking a uh, a looping question, you know, I, is this cookie good? What makes this cookie good? What kind of ingredients make this cookie good? What kind of ingredients in this order? Those kinds of questions make sure that you're getting to the right product. But this idea of going into business without really knowing what that is, is ignoring the fact that if you just ask people some questions about your business, they will give you really honest and helpful feedback. Now, this, this is a double-edged sword. You know, like we all know the Henry Ford quote, if I had asked people what they had wanted, they would have said faster horses. So the innovator's lightning bolt idea is so important. Like you as the inventor of your idea are the, the vision holder. Hold on to that part, but ask people what they think about it and take their feedback and 
make sure that your idea is working towards solving a problem. And you can do that really easily today. You can, you can run surveys on Twitter, right? You could just quick little binary surveys, multiple choice surveys. Um, you can do things with like SurveyMonkey or Google Forms and put out surveys. They don't have to be complicated. They can, they can focus on, you know, what is this missing? What would you add? How would you describe the experience? Send it to as many people as you possibly can. Give them an incentive, like give them a reward for answering it. But get as much feedback as you possibly can because people will give you, they will offer information that you weren't even asking for that could unlock something about your idea, about your business that you hadn't previously thought of. But again, it's not, it's not the singular idea. It's how you as an inventor put those ideas together. And I promise you this, if you're an entrepreneur, if, you, if you've ever laid in bed at night thinking, I could do this, I, but I'm scared, or I could do this and I think I could do it better than this other company, it's not going to be your only idea. You're going to have so many ideas. Your true talent is that you're, um, you're a conductor. You're going to bring these ideas together, but you have to know how and when to solicit that kind of feedback. And I'll tell you this, like those companies that I used to work for, the biggest digital agencies in the world, the, the most expensive management consultancies in the world, they are charging companies thousands of dollars per hour to do things that you could do on your mobile phone, on your mobile device, on any phone, put a survey together, tweet it out, get feedback. And you could do that for zero dollars. So like what you were saying earlier, like you can build businesses. And you were tweeting about this earlier in the week, like with, a, with, with an iPhone in your hand, you could, build, you could build an empire. So these are the tools that you can actually use to make sure that the idea that you're putting out there is, is worth something. I think it's great. Absolutely. The iPhone tweet, it went viral. And so let's kind of, let's, let's pivot towards yeah. that. So you have a background that is extensive in marketing and advertising on a macro level, from my understanding. Is that correct? With like on a big scale? Yeah, that's correct. Right. So we don't yeah. have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we have too many huge um, people that are on your scale. Um, but with those concepts that you've learned, can you bring them down to a molecular level, if you will? Um, yeah. And share that insight that you've learned on this bigger scale to somebody like, you know, myself or anybody in our community who has um, a, a, a store or Amazon or, you know, anything that they're doing, trying to sell their jewelry online, take those large scale concepts and bring it down to our scale. Yeah. Well, first I'm going to give you like a cheat code for all of this. Read the 22 immutable laws of marketing and you'll have a blueprint for how the biggest agencies put their ad campaigns, their marketing campaigns, um, all of their all of their advertising and marketing comes from these these principles, the twenty two immutable laws of marketing. I think it's by Jack Rees. Um, that's that's the first thing. The second thing is the process is always the same, and we just we kind of just covered step one. You know, once you have your idea, the first step is validate the idea by asking the right people the right questions. The second step is making sure that that idea can survive the, the first round of questions, right? So if you, if you wanna know, 
is your app any good? Let's just, let's make it about a digital product so that this, that this goes all the way through digital. Let's say you came up with a new uh, meditation app. We were talking about meditation earlier. So you come up with a new meditation app. You ask this group of people, hey, is this good? Did it help you meditate? What was bad about it? What would you fix? You take that information, okay? You take that information, you make the app better. But here's what's happening at another level. And this is where it gets into the marketing. People are telling you exactly how to communicate. And once you have a sense of what that language that they're speaking is, you can, you can write the kind of copy, you can tell the kinds of stories that will get people interested. I actually, I have an example here. This is a study that we put together, right? Like here, I'll hold this up. I don't know if you can read it, but you can see that there's like this blue part, this green part, and uh, this pink part. And we looked at how Slack, how Figma, DoorDash, Airtable, all of these big digital platforms were talking. And what we realized is that they literally all followed the same exact pattern, right? So these are the, and these are the kinds of things that, you know, I talk about, like, how do you uncover what those huge companies are doing and bring it down to that molecular level? Here's the secret to writing great copy or putting great ads together. They all follow the same exact pattern, right? First step, state exactly what value you're driving. So or what value you're giving to your customers. So for Slack, they simply say a better way to communicate. Okay, just big headline, a better way to communicate. They thought about what all of those people that told them what worked and what didn't work. What, what problem did that solve? It's a better way to communicate. Then they all follow the same pattern. And this pattern's really important. So this is, this is like the, the hack. Email communication gets messy. Your inbox builds up and you miss an important meeting. So they're saying, here's the problem that you as the customer are experiencing. The next is what Slack does. Slack organizes your conversations into simple threads and channels. They tell you how they're gonna solve the problem. And then the third part is just learn how we can help you. Whether it's cookies or whether it's a meditation app, if you follow that framework, you're gonna be able to communicate with your audience in the same way that those big agencies do it. Now, here's the other part. Let's say you, you go, you understand who your users are and what they want because you've done a little bit of this surveying. You made your app better. And then you wanna really figure out how to look at that audience through data. This is my favorite part. This is the part that has always blown, like just blows my mind and, and always will. So what you do is you create a landing page, just a single page website. Um, and you can use, there's a whole bunch of tools out there. Memberstack, I think it's memberstack.com. It was memberstack.io. It's very simple, like, you know, drag and drop editor, you can put that, that marketing language that you've created and a magical little email sign-up form on it. And then you can go and you can buy some Google ads and some Google keywords, or, or sorry, Google search ads and Google display ads. And then you can test which language does better. Is it better when your meditation app says 30 seconds or less and you'll be calm? Or is it better when it says, um, you know, use our app for 30 days and you'll get 
more focused than you ever imagined. And you test which ad drove more signups and which ad converted more people into paying customers. These are the same exact tactics that the biggest digital agencies, advertising agencies, like the product people that bring the services and the apps that we use every day, these are the same tools that they use. Those first four or five steps, knowing your audience, doing a little research, creating a simulation or a prototype of your, of your service enough so that people can see a screen or two of it, get them to sign up by driving them there with a couple of Google ads. You could do that entire thing for less than $250 um, and get some real data about the coming back to your point four to eight. Is the business uh, viable? Do people want what I'm selling? And do I have the data to back it up? Last thing, you could take that data and you could pitch uh, an angel investor. You could pitch uh, a seed investor. And, and if not get feedback, get some early capital, get some financing. If you've got that kind of data point, you're, you're in the big leagues. Yeah, thank you for diving deep into that. So yeah. it's about that time that we're going to open it up to questions um, from our audience. And thank you guys so much for sticking with us. This has been our most popular show by far. Um, we've had thousands of people flowing in and out. So this is just amazing. So um, starting with some of the questions, I've seen four or five that basically are saying the same thing. And they say, Shannon, I'm 18 years old. I only have a couple hundred dollars to my name. If you could go back in time and be 18 and have you know anywhere between zero and a couple hundred dollars, what would you do and how would you go about doing it? Yeah, I would, um, like right now, practically speaking, I think I would do uh, two things. One, uh, I would look at that first few hundred bucks as a leverage. It's a big lever that you can build your next, uh, your next, your next idea off of. I would get into e-commerce. What you can do with arbitrage and drop shipping is phenomenal. There's nothing, there's really nothing like it. And I'm saying this with looking back 25 years, there's no better time to do that. And um, leveraging a platform like TikTok to market yourself, to get out and get stand out is just unmatched. Now, that's the easy part. The harder part and the part that I would really tell my 18-year-old self no matter what, stay with that course for a couple of years. You would not believe how many good ideas get derailed really quickly. And this is important for everybody to hear. The people that love you, the people that are closest to you always want to protect you. If I go back to my 18-year-old self, um, my brothers and my parents probably would have told me, dude, what, why, what is e-commerce and what are you doing? Like, why would you like, why would you do that? You, you need to focus on school. You need to focus on um, getting your grades up. You need to do all of these things. Sometimes that's really good advice, but sometimes the people that are closest to you aren't giving you the advice that that entrepreneurial spirit needs. And that's important. You got to balance those things. So th those two pieces of advice specifically, if you're already in e-commerce, I think stay there, get really good at it reach out to me. I am like, like we were saying before, I love talking about this stuff. I love helping businesses grow. I I'm here to help people figure out how to do those kinds of things, but guess what? 
I'm not the only guy. There, there, there are thousands, if not millions of people that could help you do that. Build that business. Few hundred becomes a few thousand. A few thousand is your launch pad for your next thing. And the reason that it's important to stick with it for a couple of years, you know, think 24 months, is because it is an MBA that will pay you. It completely flips the, the equation. Everything that you need to learn about business, operations, logistics, all of those things are going to become secondhand nature for you. I think it's a great way to get better at business and do it in the language of, you know, the real world, like digital. So that would be, I would go back. Um, I would, I would tell my 18 year old self to, to do exactly that. Yeah. What is your morning routine? Or let's 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 fix that. What's your yeah. daily routine? All right. Okay. So um, I'm usually up at 5 a.m. Uh, I've got an alarm set for 5:15, but I uh, try to will myself awake before then. It's weird, but it's like a thing I do. Um, and it really is routine. So I just, uh, you know, I I I do the same thing every single morning. So I'm up at five. I have uh, my coffee ready. I try to, you know, have the timer set on it, or I've got like the coffee cup and the grounds in there. I make my coffee, uh, from about five fifteen until six fifteen. um, reading. It's just non, like, it's just focused reading, whether it's one book or two books. I just spend one hour reading when I have the most focused, most energy from six, 30 until 7.15, I'm with the, the wise guy team because I'm watching the Discord and I'm watching the markets. Um, the most important time of the day. <laughs> it's literally the most important time of the day. I mean, if we're being honest, like it is the most important time of the day. But realistically, that is when, you know, that's the time that I can, I can get in. I can get the most important information for my financial life in those 45 minutes. And I'm very deliberate, very deliberate about doing that. So from, you know, really 6.30 to 7.15, it's all about the markets. And anyone that's on the West Coast knows we're playing catch up anyway all the time. So um, from there, from 7.30 until about 10, I focus on strategy. So strategy for any, uh, for, for my main business, for any of my side businesses uh, from, 10 until noon, I keep that as office hours. So that's where my phone calls, my emails, my Slack, things like that. That's when I play catch up on that. Um, I swim for about 45 minutes every day at either 11 or right around 11, depending on my uh, my schedule. It's maybe sometimes it's outside of that two hour window at noon. If I'm running ahead, I get to do it a little bit earlier. And then um, in the afternoon, I basically repeat that pattern. So then I switch back to office hours. Then I end the day with more strategic work or, um, or actually like in spreadsheets or working on a sales presentation from about three to six. And then uh, dinner, then I probably pivot back into work from uh, about seven to eight. Uh, oh, I missed two, two incredibly important things from... Uh, 6.15, going back into the morning uh, until uh, 6.30, there's a meditation, 6.10 till about 6.30. I try to get 15 to 20 minutes of meditation in every day. And at the end of every day, it's this journaling. 
So um, I just make a point of writing down what I want to accomplish in the morning. It's really simple. I don't try to overcomplicate it. I just say, here are the things that I'd like to accomplish today. Uh, I'm, I'm really hopeful that today will be a great day. I, you know, I talk myself up. And then at the end of the day, I just, uh, I recap. I say, here's what I did well, and here's what I'm going to do better tomorrow. And it's just a challenge to myself to uh, be a better version of myself. And uh, around 8, 8.30, I'm winding down. I do another meditation uh, to kind of clear my head. And then from 9 o'clock until I fall asleep, I'm just kind of, you know, I just don't really put anything on my schedule. So that, that's my daily schedule. And, oh, and the, the other thing is, personally, I do better when I don't break that schedule. So I hold that schedule on Saturdays and Sundays. Once I got out of the mindset of a five-day week versus just a day is a day, it made me a much happier person. It was less of a struggle. That's an amazing point. That's actually the first time I've heard that. And if you guys can't tell already, Shannon is like a walking post-it note packet. You just flip through. He's got a million, <laughs> million notes and you can even see behind him. He's got this amazing whiteboard just filled to the brim. So, or blackboard, excuse me. Um, a lot of people are asking how we met and how this friendship mentorship um, started. So I'll just make it quick. Um, I was on TikTok one day and saw Shannon's video. I think it maybe was one of his viral ones. Um, I thought it was amazing. And he didn't have that many followers at the time. And I thought, man, this guy's got just so much knowledge. He sounds so helpful. And he was hitting on notes that I needed to hear. And I don't know if you've ever been in that position before, but when you hear something, um, it's, it's like listening to music, like the song is super good and it sounds fun and happy until you go through a breakup and then you listen to the lyrics and all of a sudden it's a sad song, right? And you go, oh shit, this is what they meant. <laughs> this is what he's been saying this whole time. <laughs> so it struck a chord with me. I just DM'd him and I said, hey, I'm going through this situation. It was when I was leaving my, my last um, community and trying to start this on my own. And yeah, he hit me back instantly. We hopped on a FaceTime and um, from then on out, it's just been been fireworks and it's been a great friendship and relationship and i'm very very happy um to call shannon a friend and a mentor and um you know not just myself but like um like he was saying he he loves helping people out i don't want to speak on your behalf but you do have and i don't know if, i don't know if this is still in your tiktok bio but um your tiktok bio had this like what, what was it when you yeah, clicked so it, it was like a packet the oh well a couple of things one you you you're absolutely right i do love helping people in that bio there's like three different ways to get in touch with me if you email me i'm going to email you back um if you message me i'm going to work my way to the message but you can email me and i and i promise i will email you back and then what i started doing is like you were saying my life is sketches right like i visual thinker visual communicator if i write it down i can i can build on it and with all of my early TikToks, there was a corresponding sketch. And every single one of those lessons is in a PDF that I publish um, up to keep up to date. And I just give those materials away. I want people to have those materials. And um, they're kind of like a blueprint for building businesses. So I love giving that kind of stuff out because it's... Uh, 
you know, like I said, there's a little bit of this part of me that went through that world, that big business world and saw how much people charge for that. And I think keeping that information locked up is, uh, is not cool. So I, I make it freely available and, and I do love connecting with people and helping people build their businesses. So hit me up. Totally. Hey, so Kobe asks, uh, Kobe Wolklutch says, um, what is a good way to drift away from your nine to five work schedule um, with a goal of being financially independent by age 40? Yeah. So if you, um, so if you want to get away from that nine to five, and there's a couple of answers to that and, and actually 48, I think you've got one of the answers to it in terms of financial independence. Another, another answer to that is especially if you're going down that entrepreneurial line, getting away from that nine to five is all about making a couple of calculated steps. And I think if you're thinking about starting a business, start with the salary that you want to earn and from there work backwards. So if you want to earn a hundred thousand a year, if you want to earn, if you want to earn 50,000 a year, 75, a hundred, 150, 250, a million, just start with that number and then work back with the business that you want to build until you understand how much it costs to run that business every month and how much salary it can provide. And then from there, how many clients you would need. And then from there, creating that network. Network is so important. And I don't just mean like networking. I mean, people that understand your brand, like what you're going to do with your business and what your business is, building it on Instagram, building it on TikTok, building it on Facebook, marketing yourself before you ever split away from a salaried position. And at a certain point, you're going to have so many of these gears built that you're just going to need to do one last thing. And that's kind of fill up the tank with gas. And that gas is your first sale, right? So if you're doing that, and if you do that on the digital business side, it's a little bit easier to peel away, but let's say you're doing that with a physical product or a service, um, you're gonna have to find that time to, to sell and to split away. Now, if you're doing that and you're like 20, you've got time to do it. You should take your biggest risks before you, you really before you're 30, because from that point forward, it's not that you can't, it's just that, like we were saying earlier, the stakes get a little bit higher. There's a car payment, maybe there's a mortgage, maybe there's a family. But in your 20s, especially if you haven't done those things yet, you can take immense risks and it's okay if the first one doesn't work out. So that by the time you're 30, that business is growing. And by the time you're 40, that business is flying. And the last thing I'll say about that, um, businesses take a hot minute. They even, even super high growth businesses are stories that people tell. It took five years for the fastest growing brands to really, really become these kind of like household internet names. Um, so it takes a few years for a business to get off the ground. If you do that sooner than later, you're going to be all right. Absolutely. Hey, um, as we're coming to a close, guys, I want to mention we have a giveaway going on. So if you guys could, please, if you're wanting to enter in for this giveaway, the code is S-H-A-N-O-N, Shannon, with one N. Um, so just run up that Shannon. And uh, after this question, we will choose a winner. Um, there was a great question right here from Jonathan. Um, it says, do you think it's best when starting a business to not pay yourself at the beginning, even if you're making huge profits, just so that you can reinvest and grow the business even further? 
Oh, Jonathan, that's a great question. Um, I'll say this, not every situation is the same. Um, I do think if, if there's a way that you can survive without paying yourself, uh, and there's a way that you can just reinvest and bank that, go for it. Absolutely do that. If, if not, and you need a salary, just be realistic about what that salary is. It, you shouldn't be hurting, that's for sure. I've, I, and, I, and I've told a lot of people that I've advised this. You should not be hurting because then you're not thinking about the business. But your question actually has part of the answer in it. You should always be thinking about how to reinvest profit. That profit becomes your strategic hire. Maybe it's an amazing salesperson. Um, maybe it's all new computers for your existing team. Maybe it is the ability to take out some much needed advertising to grow your brand. But the spirit of, of your question is, is the answer. Reinvestment is the best thing that you can do. The profits, they are, um, they're there to help the business grow. I'm a big believer in just increasing the size of the pipe. So get the cash flow bigger pay more people, more salaries, help other people grow their families, build a really thriving business, um, there'll come a time where that, that machine puts out so much cash that you'll be able to have a really fat salary. There will be bonuses. There's going to be equity. There may be an investment banker that wants to buy it. But early on, to whatever degree you can keep the money in the business, keep the money in the business. Just don't hurt yourself doing it because I think you know everybody needs a little bit of a reward. That's a huge motivating factor and everybody needs something to live on. So just keep those, those thoughts in mind and, and be uh, good to yourself and realistic about the situation. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. All right, guys, the winner is going to be chosen right now we should have the bot that kicks in um after that no more spamming it should be uh oh, okay it chose right here so it looks like the winner for the reward was six slash so six slash just shoot us a dm on on here and we'll get you taken care of nice um we'll actually do one more giveaway so if you guys want to run up to shannon one more time and what we'll do is ask you one last question before we head out um we had a question. I can't remember who said it, but um, I'm going to say it off the top of my head. Um, can you ask Shannon about how to be more productive and procrastinate less? I know it has a lot to do with self-discipline, and what, but what is the best approach to becoming the best version of yourself? I love this question. So procrastination is like literally hardwired into our minds for a couple of really simple reasons. One somewhere along the line doesn't matter when you had a negative association with something that you actually want to do so let's say you want to write a book or publish a course or just get your work done somewhere along the line when you sat down at your desk you got this feeling that the work wasn't good enough or it was really hard and, you know, there's a difference between like the brain and the mind. The mind, the mind wants to be Elon Musk. The mind wants to build rockets. The brain wants to eat Cheetos and just kind of like hang out. And when you learn that 
just that alone, um, like you, the amount of power you get over the brain is amazing. So here's what I want you to do the next time you're struggling with getting started. Just take your, take your phone, set a timer, okay? Set a one minute timer. Try and do the task that you're sitting down to do for just one minute. So let's say it's write a presentation or write a chapter of your book or design just one part of your website. Just do it for one minute. Timer is going to go off like that. I want you to just let the timer reset. Do it again. It's going to go off like that. Get, get a little bolder. Go for five minutes. And all of a sudden, there's no such thing as procrastination. If you can make those first few minutes a game and take your focus away from, I can't, oh, I'm going to do it later. Just sit down, set the timer and get going. And you're going to see all of a sudden, it just starts rolling, rolling, rolling. And then the second part of that is I want you to take notice of how those, like what you're thinking when it's happening, because those are your emotional triggers. If you feel that anxiety or you feel that sort of tenseness, just say like, okay, I recognize this tension and I recognize that it's getting in my way. I'm going to hit the timer and go watch the procrastination disappear. It works. I still do it every single time I'm in a rut. Like magic. Yeah, it works like magic. And I'll just add on to that too. Something that I, I think I learned it in my master's program. Maybe it was one of the only things that was amazingly useful from that program. Um, but it's called the rocket ship method. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but um, he was, it, my professor was talking about getting out of bed in the morning and how people, some people are morning people or some people uh, don't want to wake up until 10. He said, uh, you know, count down and, you know, the rocket ship, you know, five, four, three, two, one, and then just do it. And so I thought, you know, I laughed and I thought, that's so weird. What is, I, how does that work at all? But it, it really does work. And it's worked for me now for a couple of years and it's just been, um, it's been amazing. So uh, with that Great. being said, we have our final winner. We're going to announce it right about now. We'll see who wins right now. And boom, we have a winner. Abilene Seven, awesome. Congratulations on your win. Shoot us a DM and we'll get you taken care nice. of. Um, before we leave, we've had like five or six people spamming me the same question. Everybody wants to know about college and your opinions on college. Is it worth oh. it? Is it not worth it? <laughs> you know, I might just open a can of worms, but uh Oh man. Okay. So here here here's the uh here's here's the answer. <clears throat> if you know what you want to do and it's non-professional you are 100 and when i say non-professional you're not going to be a doctor you're not going to be a lawyer you're not going to be an engineer you don't need somebody to say you are certified in doing this thing to these standards if you're not in that position and you know exactly where you're going youtube is a university the internet is a university you can you can be successful with the with the vast resource i mean half of mit half of harvard is free online courses you can get all of the information so if you know where you're going you're an arrow you just you're your own bow just fire it and go off i don't think you do, you need university obviously in the in the cases where you're going professional you do i think if you're on the fence it's something that is you know almost assumed like you have to go to college in order to 
achieve these results. And I just don't think that's true anymore. I think if you want to go to school and you want a great education, you should start off, you know, like go for liberal arts, learn how to learn. And that is, I think the best, that's really one of the most amazing things about higher education is you will learn how to learn. You will learn how to research. You will learn how to um, become a better thinker. The, that's critically important. But if you're going to school just to get to that career point um, or just to get to an entrepreneurial career point, I think there are better options, honestly. And I think that that's just the reality of the world that that you guys are in right now. It's just, it's, it's a lot different and the barriers to entry are a lot different. Um, I don't know that I would have gone through university knowing what I know today about where I am. Uh, the only caveat that I would put there is that it, there are critical skills that you can learn along the way. I just think the number of applications is more limited than it used to be. So it's kind of like a 50-50 answer. Mm -hmm. I think if you really know what you're going to do, it's not necessary. If you're, you know, if you're going for professionals, then obviously it is necessary. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I want to close up by saying thank you to Shannon. Um, this has been without a doubt, one of the best um, interviews or wise guy lives that we've had by far. Um, you're such an amazing um, guest. You're an amazing dude. All of the knowledge that you have to offer is just incredible and vast and inspirational. Um, keep doing what you're doing and keep inspiring people like us to, you know, work hard and achieve our dreams and hopefully be swimming laughs at 11:45 with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just uh, that means so much to me. I'm so thankful for you having me on uh, the stream. I appreciate this whole conversation. I appreciate everyone's questions and just go out there, grind it out, and um, yeah, just keep going. I just yeah. I'm I'm really excited. So thanks for having me. Amazing, amazing. Hey, one last time, guys, check the um, our bio. It should say all of uh, Shannon's information. You can find him on TikTok at Shannon Marks. It's Shannon with one N. Find him on Twitter, Instagram, all of his so social medias. We um, should be popping up here. So Shannon Marks is on TikTok. And then I think it's Shannon in space on both Twitter and Instagram. So yep. be on the lookout, guys. There's going to be more collaboration. There's going to be more episodes and you will be seeing more of Shannon. So thank you guys. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, everyone.